All right, guys, welcome to the Sports Bites podcast. It's a special edition today. And, you know, heading into the first month of the college football season is already over, heading into a really big weekend, you know, starting to get some of that separation, hopefully. And I reached out to a guy that I got to know back when I was doing play-by-play in Oklahoma. Uh, At that time, we had a kid on the team named David Cornwell that had committed to come to the University of Alabama. This was before Tua and Jalen was the highest-rated quarterback that Nick Saban had um, recruited at that time playing for Norman North, and Matt Skalicki, worked for AL.com at that time, came and you know we got to talk and then met at the Sugar Bowl in 2014. And now he works for For the Win with USA Today and got him on to talk a little college football. And Matt, man, I appreciate it. Of course, man. Good to talk to you. Well, David really didn't pan out at Alabama, did he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of the quarterback game uh, when, you're, when you're recruiting – any position, there's some degree of that, but I, I think quarterback Saban has kind of always said it's one of the easiest positions to miss on, uh, and and it obviously is also an incredibly important one. So he likes to he likes to always have lots of options coming through. I think they've used the transfer portal to to try and increase competition at that spot in the last few years, but you know it, it's. I do remember in the case of David Cornwell, it was in an era when Lane Kiffin had just gotten there and Saban was pretty convinced that the move going forward was that you needed to have a guy with some mobility. And David Cornwell was a was a dual threat guy. He he had a highlight reel that was filled with uh, him making plays with his feet, including in the passing game, which, I, again, that's something that has become a a huge asset to Alabama over the years is not just a quarterback that makes yards with his feet, but that can move out of the pocket and, and sort of create space and, and separation for his receivers by running around. And so I, so I, I, cer- I certainly understand why Cornwell attracted Saban <laughs> and Kiffin at the time. And you can see when you look at the guys that came instead, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. To a lesser extent, Mac Jones, because I think that that ended up being a different offense entirely. But, you know, Bryce Young did a lot of it, too. So it, that's that's been kind of the blueprint. And you see where they're at right now with Jalen Milrow. I don't know that that's their ideal situation, but it's uh, I think he would rather have mobility than than not. If, if, if you've got right. if you've got to choose somebody with a limited skill set, he'd rather have the guy that can move around some. Well, first month of the season is done. What are what are your general thoughts on what we've seen so far this first month in the season of college football? I think it's been really interesting. You know, I, I think that this is just a sport that is always going to be top heavy. It, it's always going to be a sport of kings, if you will. Like it, it is a sport where the the blue chip recruits mean everything, where the blue blood programs pretty much always are are taking up most of the space at the top. And there's room for one or two outsiders to rise up and, and make an impact every once in a while. But most of the time, you're going to see those traditional powers kind of rising and falling in, in different groups at the top. And I think it's unclear what kind of year Alabama is going to have, but I think it's clear they are no longer as dominant over the sport as they were at their peak. I mean, there's, it was impossible for that to last forever. 
I think even Georgia maybe does not have the kind of separation over everyone else that they've had the last couple of years. Uh, and the rest of the league is caught up to them a little bit. I don't know that there is one team that looks like an unbeatable monster right now. Everybody's got some glaringly obvious weakness. And, um, you know, the one who really hasn't been scared as, as, harshly as anybody else so far as texas and we're going to find out what texas is really about this weekend it, it, it's a big game. i've told people and, and as an oklahoma guy myself i hate saying it but if they win saturday if georgia struggles even if they lose at kentucky i mean i think they have a pretty good claim at being the number one team in the country with a win at tuscaloosa and a win over a much improved oklahoma team i don't know of anybody that has two better victories I agree. I mean, I think Kentucky looks Kentucky looks very good. That doesn't mean that Georgia's not going to blow the doors off of them in Athens this weekend, but it would be an impressive win for Georgia, even though Kentucky is not a big brand name in college football. But but people who've watched, if you've watched Kentucky this year, they've looked great and they've done it against pretty good competition. So, you know, we're gonna you're you're right. We're gonna learn a lot about the top two or three spots this weekend uh with with texas and georgia how they perform i'm a hundred percent not sold on ohio state yet i'm not a believer in them i think that they've got a a reckoning coming and it's not and it's going to be before michigan so you know we'll see if i'm right about that or not I, i just don't i'm just not impressed with them i don't think they've they've got that stuff of an elite college football playoff team but you know Again, part of what I like about this season so far is there are a lot of really good teams, and I don't know that there's anybody that's unbeatable. I I even think that if Georgia makes it through their schedule undefeated to the SEC championship game, they very well could get knocked off in, in, in Atlanta in the title game because the West, while it does not have a, a, a huge, highly rated team right now, it has a lot of very good teams. Uh, you know, Auburn looked like a mess a, a couple of weeks ago, but they gave, they took Georgia to the wire in that game. Texas A&M all of a sudden looks like they've got some stuff figured out uh, with their backup quarterback, Max Johnson, coming in. It, it was like they accidentally figured out how to run their offense correctly. I think Alabama needed a few weeks to figure out how they're going to move the ball and score. And I think they are starting to get dangerous. I think Jalen Milrow looks like he might be figuring some stuff out, uh, which you don't want to hear if you're on Alabama's schedule for the rest of the year. So like the, the West is really interesting to me. And Georgia really doesn't have to play anybody tough out of the West this year. So I'm very curious how the SEC race ends up and, and what that what that conference championship game looks like. Speaking of the SEC, and I know that for the longest time, and, and rightfully so, the, carrying the flag of the best conference in college football, Kirby comes out and says he feels that every SEC team should be ranked, which <laughs> pumped the brakes. Have you seen Vanderbilt? Maybe not Vanderbilt. Have you seen, yeah. <laughs> you know, but across, and you're looking in Georgia, I don't think Georgia is like they have been the last couple of years. Alabama could still find their way into the playoffs, but as a whole, do you think the conference is down or that com- or that competition is caught up? You know, I I think my feeling about the SEC right now is that we've hit this moment 
where if you look at the the way that recruiting works and and talent intake works, it tends to go in about a two year cycle. Um, and I think we're seeing there's a there's a bunch of examples I could point to. Texas A and M is a great example where you know they had that tremendous recruiting class last year. And then they had a terrible season when all those kids were freshmen. That's that's honestly, people freaked out about it. That's to be expected because that's how this works. You you need guys to have at least a full year in the program before you can see the impact that class makes, with the exception of one or two guys. Um, I think the combination of a bunch of different SEC schools making coaching hires, elevating their recruiting, and of course, the transfer portal becoming a bigger part of all of this. All of those things, I think, have left a lot of the league in flux in this weird transitional state. And I think there's there's also at the same time a little bit of a philosophy shift going on. And this happens in college football every few years. You know, there was a time when the spread uh dominated the sport suddenly there was a time when rpos were the new thing that everybody was doing and you were either good at that or you were going to get run over and i think it's unclear exactly where we're headed right now but it weirdly seems to be that <laughs> sort of a return in some ways to the the old school power style offenses are what is doing well teams that can run the ball and be physically dominant at the line of scrimmage seem to be having a good time this year. And I'm speaking in generalizations here, but you look at, you look at Georgia, a team that's really built around having a bunch of elite tight ends uh, and, and a great ground game. I think Alabama has decided that that's more of a direction they want to go also, rather than throwing the ball 40 times a game, the way that they were doing under Tua and Mac Jones. I think I think if you look at the teams that are struggling this year at the same time, it tends to be the offenses that are heavily built around throwing the ball all over the field. So, you know, it, it might be too early to make this kind of a declaration, but I, I do think we're seeing a lot of things transition in the SEC, and that's why there's a lot of stuff up in the air and, and why it doesn't seem like you can ever get a handle on who the best teams are week to week. But it also is fun to watch because you have stuff like that LSU Ole Miss game last week that at the same time as it was it was exciting to watch. There was no way to predict who was going to win that no. game. And I also don't know if we can learn anything from it. I don't know if we can suddenly take from that game that Ole Miss is going to be a dominant team for the rest of the season because we saw what they did against Alabama. They're just as capable of falling flat. I also don't think it's safe to just assume that LSU can't play defense anymore and that everyone's going to score 50 points on them every week. So there's so many weird matchups week to week, um, and it leads to a lot of unpredictability. And I think if you're a casual fan of the game, that's very fun. If you have a particular team you're rooting for, it can probably be frustrating. It it, it has been a lot of fun, but... On your website, on the For the Win website, I kind of pulled up and you publish something every week, the top five games to really pay attention to, which I love because I I kind of do that through the podcast as well. And I wanted to go over some of the games because they're, they're the kind of games that I'm looking at. And you start with number five, 
a surprise for me. And, and you know, you mentioned different expectations for both teams, and they've kind of gone separate ways. Missouri and LSU. Missouri undefeated. LSU coming in after that loss. You know, Brady Cook playing exceptionally well. You know, Jaden Daniels having a good season, but a very intriguing matchup uh, between two Tigers. Yeah, and I and I honestly I went back and forth. I almost went with UCF versus Kansas in this game, and the only reason I didn't is because of Kansas losing their quarterback. But I, you know, look, conventional wisdom. Every every cell of my brain is screaming out that LSU should win this game. But you know, you you again, you look at last week. It's more than just personnel. It's not about LSU not having guys that can play on their defense. There, there seems to be kind of a fundamental problem with this team. There's, there's guys that aren't on the same page with, with each other, with the coaching staff. There's some internal kind of chemistry, emotional issues. And if things go poorly for them, they seem to fall apart. Uh, so, so, you know, look, the, your, what's happening between your ears is a big part of football. And LSU is having some issues with that part of the game this year. Missouri, again, if you're just looking at this on paper in terms of the amount of talent on the two rosters, it shouldn't be close. But I do think this Missouri team on the on the flip side of LSU, they are playing well together. They seem to like each other. They seem bought into what the coaching staff is doing. Um, So I'm really I'm very curious to see my my gut says that LSU should win this game. But. Again, all it really takes sometimes is for one or two things to not go your way, and some guys can start falling apart. They can start turning on each other. Yeah, and you bring that up, and I thought that even like last year with Brian Kelly and that staff now with how everything went down with Keyshawn Boutte, you know, and how he kind of just, you know, going into his last couple of years talking about he was a you know a first-round talent and then just everything fell apart with him, and you kind of see that. So if if – you know, if Eli and the Tigers can get going, you know, it, it, it could be interesting. Like I said, Brady Cook's playing error-free football. He's got no interceptions so far in the year. And if you don't turn the ball over, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a I, – I think that I think that stability is perhaps an, the most underrated quality a team can have in college football this year. In a time where there is so much that is unstable – Having having a program where everybody trusts each other and trusts their coaches that they know what they're doing becomes even more important. I mean, you you go back and look at the 2020 season where it was the the least stable environment we've ever played college football in, and who came out on top that year? It was Alabama. It was a, it was a program that had the had an answer for everything, right? And <clears throat> that everyone had a reason to trust the people around them. Uh, teams, teams who are established and have good chemistry tend to thrive in unstable environments. And I think that's what we've got going on this year. You bring up Alabama. That's the next game you highlight Alabama and A&M. You know, A&M has been kind of a thorn in the side of Alabama the last couple of years, you know, a couple wins against the tide, but a, a really interesting matchup this year. Yeah, I was actually at the the Texas A&M Auburn game a couple of weeks ago and so I I kind of got the chance to not just see where the A&M fan base and their enthusiasm is at right now, but also got to see kind of that moment that Connor Wiegman came out and was done for the season 
and Max Johnson came in and everything suddenly seemed to flip like a switch for Texas A&M. Now, you know, it remains to be seen how how that's going to look going forward. Some sometimes when you get a new quarterback in, it takes everybody a couple of weeks to see on film where his weaknesses are, how you can pick on him. Um, the other the other element of this is that as good as Auburn's defense is, Alabama's defense might be playing as well as any defensive unit in college football right now. They they, they obviously have struggled some on offense this season. But Alabama's defense has been pretty spectacular. And, and honestly, it was a big surprise to me. I did not expect them to turn it around that quickly under Kevin Steele, but they've looked great. I mean, they totally shut down Ole Miss. They totally shut down Mississippi State. Those are two pretty good offenses with, with a lot of talented yeah. players. And Alabama's defense is, is a nightmare to go up against right now. They will be doing it on the road against uh, a very hostile crowd who, at the moment, seems pretty excited about what's going on with Jimbo Fisher and and uh, Bobby Petrino and that offense. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like down there. I mean, Alabama has struggled on the road in the last couple of years. So, uh, I, I you know, I'm fascinated to see that one. I think that's going to be a really interesting game. It, it it's always interesting down at, at Kyle Field, you know, when they start to swaying and moving. If you're in the press box, you almost get a little motion sickness watching they, because it's like yeah. it's almost like Neyland Stadium. You almost go straight up when they're when when that crowd is feeling it. It is it is a very intimidating atmosphere. Don't it, walk it on is, the grass. Top five in college football when when the right. fans are bought in now you there there's plenty of reasons for them to not be bought in and, right. and i think they're always a little bit on edge with jimbo um but when they're believing that place is very scary to play in absolutely the next one another intriguing matchup notre dame third game in a row against a top 25 opponent jeff brom doing a great job with louisville louisville scoring a bunch of points sam hartman comes in the acc's all-time leading pass thrower uh, touchdown thrower. They've won 30 straight games, regular season games against the ACC. Now face the Louisville Cardinals. I'm I'm excited for this one because I want Louisville to be to be as good as I as as I think they they can be. They're they're certainly they've I, I could I guess you could say they've played to their competition so far this year. They've been kind of in a lot of tight games and they've pulled them out. Uh, you know. Again, it's one of those things where you want to be skeptical because how could you turn it around this quickly? How could they go from being so bad to to so good this quickly? Um, but you know, again, you you just mentioned this is the third week in a row that Notre Dame has had to play a ranked opponent. They're on the road again. Um, am, am I right about that, or is this one in South Bend? It's in South Bend. Okay, so the, so I mean, look, they they do have home field advantage at least, but. I mean, it's got to get to you at some point. This is this has been a tough stretch for Notre Dame. They've also, I think, played to their competition level, and that that means they played up to Ohio State, who, you know, has a ton of talent. And uh, Notre Dame took them to the wire. They also had to go down the field and score at the last possible second to beat Duke, um, which is a team with considerable less talent than Notre Dame has on their roster. So, you know. I think if you if you play this many close calls, the numbers say somebody's going to get you eventually. I think Notre Dame should win this game, 
But I'm excited for what's going on at Louisville right now. And, and it seems like that fan base is really, really feeling optimism for the first time in a while. Yeah, it, 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 their offense is fun to watch. I mean, they're, they're doing a really good job. And, you know, I tease everybody with uh, Sam Hartman. I was like, with the beer and the hair, he looks like he should be singing backup for Alabama or something. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, but again, a class act, though. I mean, you know, waiting for, for Riley Leonard to come out of the tent, um, waiting for the North Carolina State band to be done with, you know, their alma mater. So just kind of a class act and a leader. And with him and Audric SMA, just a really talented offense. He's an easy guy to like for sure. And, you know, I think it's, it's one of the, one of the, we're weirdly, we're still in this period where guys had that, that COVID bonus year on their eligibility right. clock. And so now we're, we're, this is like the first time in history where we're seeing, you know, 25 year olds playing college football that aren't and, at BYU. Yeah. Right. Not at BYU. And, and it's, you know, I think it's yielding a lot of interesting characters, a lot of guys who have like an, an unusual amount of maturity for a college football player. Next, uh, the big matchup in the SEC, Georgia and Kentucky. Now, this is a game that, it, it, you know, it's intriguing because you look at Ray Davis, the running back for Kentucky. That's a grown man. He's going to oh, yeah. play on Sundays. Um their quarterback, Devin, he's he's a little more carefree with the football, five interceptions on the year. But, you know, a lot of people talking about Mark Stoops. You're getting paid championship coach pay, but you've never really won that game. I mean, he's, he's kind of due, isn't he? You want to say due. There's, there's conflicting cosmic forces happening here at Kentucky. They're... They've got a good coach who knows what he's doing. He's bought into a system. He's he's a he's a good in-game decision maker. And at the same time, it's Kentucky and there are as as much resources as they've put into football, which is a lot. For the history of Kentucky, they've never been more all in for football than they are right now. But they're as I said earlier in the show, this is a sport of blue bloods and Kentucky is not one of them in football. And so they're always going to be facing an uphill battle. There's there is always that little nagging thing in your head that says you've never been here before. You've never done this. And that's that's a that's a voice that becomes very loud in your head when you're playing in Athens, when you're playing the two time defending national champions. There is something in your head that wants to tell you you're not winning this game. You sh you're not the team that beats Georgia here. And they've got to overcome that that mental hurdle. But I do think, again, we it's so hard to judge from from one game to the next but auburn weirdly had a had a lot of success running the ball against georgia last week and auburn is a, is a is a good ground team and has been for years they have a good running back stable they have quarterbacks that can run the ball well so the question is can a team that is built around running the ball have as much success as auburn had last week and finish the job and you know, Kentucky doesn't have the sort of trappings of Hugh Freeze and and the threat of doing something weird and throwing the ball when you when when you're not expected to. You pretty much know that Kentucky's going to run the ball at you, and you've got to stop them. So, how how successful can Georgia be at stopping this Kentucky ground game and forcing them to pass to win the game? And beyond that. 
I really, I really like Kentucky coming into this game. I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean I, I expect them to win, but I don't love Georgia's offense outside of Brock Bowers, who is a damn near impossible to stop. And you, you just right. got to know he's going to get some plays on you. But Kentucky's a really good defensive team. They run the ball really well. I mean, I'm, I, I am, uh, this is, this is definitely the most interested I've been in a Kentucky football game <laughs> in a very long time. We're about out of time here on this, uh, the Zoom meeting. We got us kind of limited here, but the, the number one game, it's the number one game for me. A lot of reasons I had to cover this game quite a bit, you know, when I was doing radio and out in Oklahoma, but the last Red River rivalry in the Big 12, Oklahoma, Texas, and a, a lot at stake, 49 to nothing last year. You get to find out. Is Oklahoma for real? Is Texas "quote unquote" back? What are your thoughts on this game? Well, Oklahoma is is suddenly looking like they've got some things figured out, and that's exciting coming into this game. Uh, there, I don't think either of these two teams are perfect. I think that they have they have some frustrating weaknesses that they're going to have to account for and get better at. I think that Texas. Oklahoma's best hope, I think, coming into this game is that Texas is maybe not as good as they think they are. Texas, Texas is very clearly a good team and they have the most impressive win in college football this season. But I think they maybe are buying their own hype a little bit. Uh, and it's very, it's very, it's a very precarious position for them. Um, because the hype machine in Austin, when, there is nothing like it in college football. When 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 they oh, yeah. start to get excited, there is a level of excitement that you don't see anywhere else. And I think everybody at Texas wants this to be the time. They want Texas to be back. And what does that mean? Where does that put you mentally coming into a game like this where you are playing a team that hates you with every fiber of their being, every that this fiber. is their Super Bowl? They want this game really badly. And uh I'm I'm I mean, I think this is emotionally and narratively the most interesting game, but I'm also really curious to see how it how it looks on the field with, you know, an incredible defensive mind at Oklahoma and a guy who I think is maybe the best pure play caller in college football and Steve Sarkeesian offensively. I'm so excited about this game, and this this is the game potential game of the year for me. It, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I tell people, especially with Oklahoma and Texas coming to the SEC, if you've not been to the game, go to it just for the atmosphere, the spectacle. I mean, for me, the only thing that I would put above it, and I haven't been to it, it's on my bucket list, is Army Navy seeing the march in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I used to have to be at the fairgrounds because we did a pregame show. I had to be at the fairgrounds at 4 a.m. Because we went on the air at 7 a.m. So I felt like Templeton from Charlotte's Web rolling around the fair. And, <laughs> you know, I, I would see it kind of build from a smattering of people in pitch black dark to next thing you know, a mass of humanity in red and orange. And then afterwards, doing the postgame show out on the fairgrounds, you know, and watching whoever won, being able to celebrate. And it's it's a great atmosphere. It's an old stadium. It's a classic rivalry. The last one in the Big 12. and you know, it's uh, I, I'm nervous about it. Just being a fan of it, it's like, you know, I, I hope you know you want to come back from that 49 to nothing victory. But talking about the fair, it brings me in sports bites. I talk about food, talk about sports. 
I know as you know, people who cover games, you travel a lot. I've traveled a lot. Where or what is the best thing you've had while you were covering the game? Food-wise, we're saying? Food-wise, yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. I, I will say I am, I'm a relatively predictable guy on the road in that I tend to get barbecue at most SEC places. So the, the, you know, and I, and I, I haven't had too many bad barbecues, sure. uh, but I, I would say, I would say, first of all, underrated barbecue, two places, Texas A&M and South Carolina. Uh, definitely not what I'm used to different living styles in Alabama. of barbecue too. Very different. And I, and I really pleasantly surprised by those two places. In terms of the best food that I've had in a different city covering an event, I'll tell you, when when we got to go to San Jose slash San Francisco for the national championship game in 2018, I guess it was January 2019, um, we ate some incredible food around the Bay Area. And I know that's not really a college town, so I'm cheating a little bit, but man, just the amount of stuff you can get there is so wildly different from from SEC country. I mean, we we went out and got you know Korean barbecue one oh, night. Yeah. We were we were eating incredible seafood in San Francisco. I think we had at some point I ate some kind of a breakfast omelet thing that had oysters in it, which was really <laughs> I would say a dangerous decision by me, right. but it paid, it paid off. So I mean. I mean, that was pretty cool. I, I complained a lot about the game being in San Francisco because it's not a college football town. No. But it was a really cool experience, and I'm glad I got to do that. I, I I ate some good food for sure in Indianapolis a couple of years ago for that national title game, too. I just never was able to go outside uh, because it was literally zero degrees oh. Fahrenheit the entire weekend. Wow. Now, <laughs> so I'm not sure it was worth it. At A&M, did you go to the Dixie Chicken? We did go to the Dixie Chicken, uh, and I also, and gosh, I'm going to forget the name of the place that I went to, the barbecue place. But, you know, like Texas barbecue is different from what you're used to in, in Alabama. It's beef. It's brisket. I got. I, brisket. I remember I got an awesome brisket sandwich. It was great. Um, and then South Carolina, I mentioned, it, if you've never had South Carolina barbecue, it's so it's so weird. And <laughs> I mean that in a good way, but it's to totally different. Yep flavor profile and vibe uh definitely if you're ever up there get some barbecue well matt again i appreciate you taking the time i know you're busy college football season a lot of stuff going on but you guys can check them out at usatoday.com for the win you can pull up all the articles again but matt man i appreciate it man continue success hey thanks for having me on chris appreciate it man that's gonna do it for this episode of sports bites everybody have a great day and we'll talk to you later